Welcome to another episode of the Animal Liberation Hour, where we seek insight from animal rights and liberation activists around the world so that we can think, reflect, learn, and be inspired. My name is Trey Morrow, and I'm your host for this episode. And I sat down with Stuart Mitchell, a.k.a. Vigilante Vegan. He had so many words of wisdom, and I really can't wait for you to hear what he had to say. But before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that the Animal Liberation Hour is a project of animal activism mentorship. AAM is a free multinational program that helps aspiring animal rights activists, as well as those who are already activists but want to take their activism to the next level. From one-on-one mentorship to free workshops and trainings to this podcast, AAM seeks to empower humans to fight for animals so that the world will have more activists and we can achieve liberation sooner. For more information, visit AnimalActivismMentorship.com and follow AAM on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Animal Activism Mentorship. You can keep up with the Animal Liberation Hour on AAM's social media, too. Animal Activism Mentorship is fueled by FARM, FARM Animal Rights Movement. So before we get started, I should let you know that Stuart and I did have some conversations about what language may be appropriate to use during outreach and what language may not be appropriate to use. So there are some triggering words mentioned in that conversation. So use discretion. Stuart, he had so much to offer. At the very end, uh, he has 11 points uh, that he makes. He just lists them out and uh, it's so educational. And I hope that you will stick around to the end to hear that. I cannot wait for you to hear what Stuart had to say. Without further delay, here's our conversation. All right, well, welcome to the Animal Liberation Hour. Uh, We've got Vigilante Vegan here, also known as Stuart. Uh, it's great to be with you, Stuart. How's it going? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Um, so just first off, I just want to know, what was your journey like to animal rights? Well, I, I started, I worked in food service for a couple of years and I started to question where our food came from, like, like how, how do we have access to so much? Uh, like when I say food, um, I mean the animals, like how do we have access to so much chicken and beef and all these other things? And like, how, how do we have like an endless supply day after day of these, uh, these products? And I'm using quotations. Um, and I started to do a little bit of research and I, I, I realized that there's these places called factory farms that exist and, and on these or in these farms were thousands of uh, different animals, uh, chickens, pigs, cows, goats that were mass produced for the sole purpose of killing them and eating them. Now, this is going back to 1998. You know, I, I wasn't vegan for that long. I was 18 back then. I didn't go vegan until I was 31. Uh, you know, sometimes the information you, you get uh, needs time to like really resonate with you and for it to make sense. And uh, I went like I kind of like lost sight of that for a bit. But then I went back to it in, in my adult years. 
I decided the best thing was to go vegan because I didn't want to be part of uh, that uh, vicious cycle of, of murder and abuse towards animals. So I completely went vegan by the age of 31 and I haven't looked back since. So what then uh, propelled you to not only be vegan and live in alignment with those morals, but also to take it a step beyond and to become an activist and um, stand up for these animals? Um, well, I, I believe in standing up for anything that you believe in, regardless of what it is. Uh, I, I do a lot of work in uh, social justice as well, human rights, um, but primarily animal rights, because I think that's the, the most the one that deserves the most attention and the one that um, kind of resonates with me the most. I mean, even being a um, so-called African-American male, uh, like no no uh, species or no group of species are more oppressed than animals because it's con it's continuous. But um, to answer your question, um, what led me to animal rights advocacy was the the fact that I knew that just being vegan wasn't enough. Like me not eating animals wasn't enough, um, but showing other people that they could live happy, healthy lives without hurting animals um, was my mission. And I, you know, I found the animal rights community. I found the animal rights movement and decided to, um, you know, uh, add my contributions to what was going on and hopefully change some lives and change some minds along the way. Yeah. Um, you partake in many forms of activism. Uh, one of them is through poetry. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Well, the poetry, I've always, I've always written poetry uh, for different uh, topics, uh, but I figured if, you know, you can lend your creativity to your cause, meaning that whatever you like to do, you can use it as a form of uh, advocacy for whatever your fight is. And I think um, me doing poetry is an extension of my creativity into what I believe in uh, fighting for. Uh, so I created Voice for Change. I created an outlet for artists, uh, poets, musicians, dancers to use their talent to convey a message of compassion for animals to the public. Um, it just it was a, a new not a new way of doing um, uh, activism, but just a creative way that will resonate with people as opposed to what we're normally uh, what people are normally used to. I just thought it was different and I like to do things a little different than everybody else. So that's that's how that came about. Um, the poetry, also the book writing, uh, writing children's books was another form of advocacy because I, I felt like we weren't talking to kids enough. Now we have organizations that cater specifically to kids. And um, and I think that's a beautiful thing because this message, I think, will stick with them more than it would adults. Adults sometimes get stuck in their ways and they don't want to hear anything about changing. Um, but you can change the mind of a child. You can teach them to have compassion for animals. And that message will stick with them. And, and hopefully when they become adults, that message has resonated and they would be the change that we want to see in the world. So that's how um, those two things came about. Just through creativity, just uh, finding new ways of spreading a message and um, and just being creative with it. Yeah, I think with kids, um, if they weren't lied to from birth, so many of them would probably just be vegan anyway. They don't, you know, just like when I was a kid, I, 
uh, I went to the zoo, I went to the circus, and I did these things because, you know, I wanted to see the animals, I, I really did, and I, you know, had someone told me what the animals had to go through to be in those places, you know, I probably would have had a much different outlook, but I'm, I want to get to your uh, children's book, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that later. Um, I, w- I want to, what's an example, you, you said... Um, with voice for change, you know, there's all different kinds of uh, artistic expression going on. What what does a voice for change event um, look like? Uh, is there is there poetry and dance and other uh, mediums? And if so, what does that look like? But and I'm asking you this because uh, I think a lot of people have creative gifts and talents, and they're maybe not sure about how they can apply that toward causes that they care about. So I think, I think voice for change is a, is a great example of how people can do that. So I'd, I'd like to just hear some examples of, uh, what kind of things go on at these events. Sure. Um, well I had, I had these signs made up, uh, these, these huge, uh, three, three foot signs that, uh, have messages like, uh, impactful messages on them. Uh, like some say stop eating animals, some say stop wearing animals, um, some say things like compassion begins on your plate, um, and others have like uh, voice for change information, like if people wanted to get involved with what we do or find out, um, uh, you know, our social media or YouTube or whatever it is to, to see more of our, our content and more of our advocacy, the information is on there. Um, so usually it's about six to eight people that we have that will join us. Um, and we kind of do like a round robin of, of performances. Like let's say I'll start and I'll do poetry and then uh, I'll have uh, another, another guy by the name of Kirk Miller who plays acoustic guitar. He'll, he'll step in and he'll do a song about animal rights uh, just, you know, with his uh, guitar. And then we have uh, a woman, Heidi, who, who dances to songs about animal liberation and we might have somebody like uh, my friend Kirsten Marilyn who will sing songs of uh, compassion. So it's, it's just different. It's almost like a variety show, but just like um, on the streets and it's free and you're getting some really good information about animal rights. And uh, we also have uh, a person or two handing out leaflets that explain who we are, what we do. And, and it also has like a QR code with links to different animal rights organizations that people want to sign a petition to stop horse carriages. People want to sign a petition uh, to stop uh, stop and ban rodeos. If you want to go vegan, there's a 22 day challenge link on there. There's there's um, a lot of resources on there for people to uh, connect with. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going on at these events. And being that I'm from New York City, I'm used to seeing like street performers, and that's sort of the roots and origins of what Voice for Change is. It's a combination of uh, hip hop culture and uh, New York City street performances, and it, but it's just with a, a message of animal rights, animal liberation that we attach to it that make it what it is. So you get a little bit of everything if you come to a Voice for Change event, if you happen to stop by and see us in the streets. Um, it's it's a, a good mixture of different forms of art and expression and creativity all, all balled into this one event that it usually lasts about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, man, I think that would be so cool to see. Um, I've only been to New York City once, and uh, yeah, I think I was like in middle school. 
Um, I live down here in the south, and you don't really see things like that when <laughs> when you're walking down the street. There's a there's a nearby city, um, Asheville, North Carolina, where sometimes you'll see some street performances and and stuff like that. But uh, where are you in the south? I'm in the upstate of South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so Asheville, North Carolina is about an hour and a half from from where I live, and you'll see some street performances up there. Um, but uh, what are what are what are the reactions like when people uh, come upon you know one of your Voice for Change events? Because you know, I mean, I, I've done street activism down here, and you know, obviously the reactions are mixed. You know, if you're showing slaughterhouse footage, or if you're protesting or disrupting or something like that but i've never i don't think i've ever been to an event like a voice for change event what are what are the reactions like when when people come upon these performances mixed too but pretty positive i lean in more towards the positive side of things i think um because there's so much going on with music and dance it, it kind of captures people's attention and the signs were designed to give people the message of why we're there. Like if, if you, you come in the middle of a, a song or a dance and you don't know what's going on and you see behind this person that's performing is a collective of different people holding signs, uh, it kind of gives you an idea of the message we're trying to convey. So a lot of times the pe- people are very inquisitive. They, they want to know more. And again, that's why we have the leaflets. We hand them out. Um, is there a way to gauge how impactful it is or is it changing people's lives? No. Um, it, it, but just like any other form of activism, you're doing it because you believe in it and you're just, you're, as they say, planting seeds. Um, but the, the overall reception has been really good so far. Uh, and I'm thankful for that because New York could be very tough. And, uh, you know, New Yorkers are very arrogant and opinionated. So, you know, you could easily trigger somebody with with your um, with your message, regardless of what it is. You know, some people just like to argue just to argue. Um, And we have enough people in New York that that have that mindset. But overall, it's been very positive and I'm very grateful of that. Uh, Hopefully we're 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 reaching people. We're changing lives and we're getting them to make better choices in regards to animals. Um, I know for some people, it's a process. It's not like an overnight thing. Um, but it, it will give them some kind of um, thought in the back of their mind to what they're doing daily and, and hopefully want to do something about it and, and, you know, make better decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think while you may not be able to calculate tangible results on something like this, I mean, I think everybody's been affected by the arts in some way. Um, that's what the arts do, you know, they, they, uh, sometimes tug at your heartstrings, sometimes make you feel alive, sometimes inspire you. Um, it's, uh, it's like its own language. It's, it's, uh, you know, you can get to people that way. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm sure that that impacts a lot of people. I, I feel like if, you know, if I walked up on something like that before I was vegan, that, it would definitely uh, get my attention. Um, so, as far as like your your poetry, and I've I've seen some interviews that you've done and all that. Um, have you always been like a natural speaker, or is that something that you've kind of developed over time? I don't I don't 
think I'm a speaker or developed at all. <laughs> you know, I, I just open my mouth and words come out. I mean, I, I speak from my heart uh, because I believe in what, um, what I'm saying. Um, but no, I'm not uh, a speaker. Like people interview me and, um, you know, it is what it is. It's like right now, like, I don't, I don't know the questions you're going to ask me. I'm not prepared for them, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm answering them as openly and honestly as I possibly can. So, I mean, if, if it comes across, like, it sounds like I know what I'm doing, then, then I fooled you because I really don't. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you did fool me. Uh, but yeah, I know what that's, I know what that's like. Um, you know, like, uh, the first speak out I ever gave, um, you know, I was just speaking from the heart and, you know, when you care so much about something, sometimes it just, you know, it just comes out. Um, right. You know, as activists, we're, we're always like, we're in this, like so many of us are just in it all the time. I mean, it never, a lot of times it never really like mentally goes away. So, you know, I guess when we're asked about it, um, those things just, I guess it just happens. But yeah, I think I think especially with the spoken word, I mean, I don't know. I think I think that's so uh I think that's just beautiful. I I've, I've loved watching what I've seen on your Instagram from that. Um Yeah, absolutely. And uh so I want to get back to the children's uh books a little bit. Uh this is something I found out about recently. I didn't know that you were a children's book author. So I haven't had a chance to read any of the books yet, but uh, can you just tell us about those? Because, you know, like you were saying before, um, you know, children uh, maybe are more willing to, you know, change change their minds. They're not as set in their ways sometimes. Not to not to be ageist, you know, anybody can change their mind about something. But, but yeah, I mean, children are just kind of in a different uh state, you know, they're not so set in their, their ways. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a pivotal time to, to reach out to somebody while someone's like key opinions are, are forming in their minds and in their hearts. Um, so yeah, just, just tell us about the books. Sure. Um, well, you know, the thing with children is that like their minds are like sponges. They're always absorbing or always just like taking in information uh, your brain is just always working and taking information because you're you're mimicking what you see other people do. Um, so we we have to be careful with that because with children you want to give them um, the proper foods uh, mentally to uh, become better adults. So if we're gonna if they're gonna um, absorb information if they're gonna mimic what we do, let it be the positive things. Let it be the righteous things. And um, that's why I wrote the first one was called Kayla. Is called Kayla the Vegan. And it's about a young girl from who moves with her family from Brooklyn to Atlanta. And she's the only vegan in her classroom. And the kids don't understand, you know, what being a vegan is. They make fun of her for it, uh, you know, but she, she meets a friend and she really, uh, you know, becomes close with this friend. Her name is Brianna in the book. And Kayla and Brianna become really close. And she talks to her about veganism and Kate and Brianna talks to her family about it. And, um, they kind of go on this mission together to spread the, you know, what veganism is, what it means to have compassion for animals. Um, and they, and it's taught in the most simplest way. Like if you know that you love your cat or your dog at home, uh, these other animals that you, that you choose to make your, your meals have the same feelings and emotions. So why would you want to harm them? And of course there's an antagonist in the book. His name is Jaden. And he, you know, he's, 
pretty much like the typical troll on social media or the troll in real life. The, the, the person that just doesn't want to change. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. And they're just very, um, you know, just against everything that you're doing. But um, she finds she she finds her a way to, like, get the message across to the kids and, um, you know, and that that has an effect on the parents of the children and the school. And they see how impactful this, this one young girl is with her message of compassion for animals. And she kind of changes the dynamic of how people view animals throughout, throughout the, the book. It's not a, it's not a, a long read. It's a short read. Um, the other one is called liberation summer. And it's about, it's, it's loosely based on my story. It's about a young man who gets a job working in food service. And he starts to question where, uh, you know, where, where our food comes from. And once he finds out, he he makes an immediate change and he starts to share this information with his friends and family. Um, then he, he starts to understand the um, the connection between animal uh, agriculture and food insecurity, food injustice in, in his neighborhood. And he becomes an activist. He becomes an advocate for the animals, he becomes an advocate for his community uh, to, to uh, teach people how to eat better where to find healthier foods and, and demand that, uh, you know, healthier foods are, are readily available in his community. So uh, both of the books are geared towards kids like uh, ages 10 to 17. And the message is compassion. The message is anybody can change with the right information. So that's why I wrote those books uh, to help kids along in their journey and to to stop looking at animals as commodified items and beings, but, it, but it, except for what they are, um, living, breathing vessels of life that deserve every bit of joy and happiness that, that, that we have as human beings. Yeah. I can't wait to read those books. I mean, I know they're children's books, but you know, like the first story that you were talking about, I mean, those are, those are things we really struggle with as as adults, at least I, I struggle with it. Like try when you care so deeply about something and then you see people who are otherwise good people, like participating in this violence and it's, it's the violence that you've dedicated your life to trying to end. And you see, and it, and it hurts even more when it's people you love and, and know and care about and they and you're watching them do it. Um, you know, that's, that can be really tough to deal with. And, you know, I can only imagine what it might've been like to, um, be in tune with these issues when I was a kid and, and, you know, watch all that happen as I was a kid, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that's, that's, that's such an empowering story. And then the second one with, you know, questioning things, I think as kids were, maybe taught to question certain things and taught not to question other things, right? When really we should question everything. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fantastic, man. Let's be honest with ourselves. Like nobody is going to go out of their way to look for factory farm footage. Um, nobody. Yeah. A lot of people don't want their meal ruined. A lot of people don't know that these places exist, but nobody's going to go out of their way to look for it for, uh, footage of what happens to animals unless somebody kind of, you know, makes them aware of it. And 
uh, I, I hope that that's what the book does. I mean, in the book, Jaden, like myself, like, and I'm not saying this is like an umbrella statement. Most people do uh, look for the, the information, but that's only because they, they are inquisitive about things that they see that's in front of them already. Like I said, I, I, I worked in food service. I saw um, every day, you know, we would get deliveries, trucks would come in and drop off boxes and boxes of, of uh, you know, animal parts uh, for us to, to season, cook and serve and things like that. So uh, I started to question why, like, where's this coming from? Like, cause I thought a farm was like a, a, a open air place with like a dozen or so chickens, just kind of like pecking around and minding their own business, you know, in my mind, that's what I thought a farm was. And when I found out these large places called factory farms exist, it blew my mind. Like I, like it, it was, and again, people don't know these places exist because they're fooled by labeling on packages that tell them that cows live a happy life or, or a fair life. That's the name of the company and a happy cow. And, you know, we're fooled by, by marketing. So we think all oh, these animals don't mind that we're taking from them. And they don't know that we're eating them because they're not as smart as we are. You know, we fool ourselves with with these lies. So nobody's looking for this information unless you let them know, like, no, this is what's really going on. And you should probably look into it. Yeah, I think it's funny what you said about the uh, about your perception of what a farm was, because, you know, we were talking about how, you know, these opinions and ideas form when you're a child. And I think this is a lie that's perpetuated really from from childhood I remember being a kid and and learning you know like uh, I, I used to have this toy when I was a kid and um, you would like pull the lever and it would spin this uh, arrow that would you know yes. you remember that toy <laughs> make different noises based on the animal it lands on yeah 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 and yeah yeah I remember having that toy as a kid and you know learning Oh, the cow goes moo, the pig goes oink, you know, all these things. And yeah, the images on that toy were exactly what you're talking about. Like the the big red barn and the cows just kind of roaming around, uh, you know, out in the open. It didn't, it most definitely didn't look like a place of oppression and violence and torture, um, you know, on the toy. Yeah, they paint this perception of, of happiness and peace and... You know, it's all mar- it's all marketing. It's, it's clever marketing. Yeah. Old, Mc- old McDonald had a farm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's part of why I think it's so powerful. You know, if 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 a, a child gets your book in their hands, you know, you can help, you know, paint a picture that's that's real. Um, you know what I mean? Instead of instead of this this lie, uh, it's not it's not really fair that we're lied to uh from birth and you know we're kind of uh we're kind of all acting against our own conscience uh, in so many ways when it comes to animals you know specifically you know about eating them when you know we actually care about them when we're kids most of us um so yeah i think it's so great uh, about the children's books and and uh being able to get to them uh through a book, you know, tell, tell them the truth, the truth that they deserve to hear. Um, even though it's a fictional story, you know, it, it'll, it'll hopefully, you know, encourage them to do their own research and, and seek out the truth. Right. Um, yeah. So 
I think everything that you've said so far is just like beautiful examples of of using your special skills and your gifts for the animals. Can can you speak to that subject a little more? Because I feel like there's so many people out there who want to be activists, but they don't know how. Maybe they don't even realize that they have a special skill or, or something unique to offer to the movement. Um, they don't realize how they can apply it. Um, people who have uh, talked to me before are probably tired of hearing me say this, but you know, I kind of always tell people like whether you're a plumber or an electrician or a dancer or a filmmaker or a graphic designer, or maybe you're just an organized person or whatever, like there's some kind of way uh, to apply your unique gifts and your talents and your skills to the movement. And I feel like there's no one better to talk about this than you because you're doing exactly that with your organizing and with your uh, writing and with your, uh, and with your spoken word uh, and performances. Just, can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's important to find what you're comfortable doing and find your niche because I'll, everything ain't for everybody. And I, I, I realized that through my own experience. Uh, people, I think sometimes like when you, when you log into like whatever social media you're on you, and you see certain types of activism taking place in different parts of the city or the country or whatever, um, it looks appealing, but it might ne necessarily be for you. Uh, case in point, uh, I remember the first time I seen the disruption, and this is going back maybe five or six years ago, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Like just seeing just seeing people mob a store and uh, you know bullhorn signs yelling. I, I'm like, wow, what is this going on? Like I until I actually did a disruption and I and I realized that it's not for me. Like that's not my approach. I'm not I'm not a loud aggressive person. And it just didn't make me feel comfortable. And a lot, a lot of that came from the fact that um, disruptions kind of bring about a heightened police presence. And, you know, that that worries me for different reasons outside of being an animal rights activist, just being a, a, an African-American man in America. You know, that brings about a lot of um, uh, fear and worry and raises my anxiety. So um, I don't want to I don't want to be near anything that kind of brings a, brings about that presence of, of you know, the police uh, to some degree. A lot of times they're there, um, you know, just to make sure that things don't get out of hand. But in, in case of a disruption, you know, like I, I've, I've, I've actually been in a disruption when it was me and another other another uh, black male and they grabbed him out of everybody that was there. It was about 30 of us. They grabbed him. And that worried me. My instinct was to just jump between him and security. Uh, I don't think that security guard knew that he could not put his hands on this man, but he did. And that worried me. Like out of everybody you could have went for, you went for the, the black guy, the black man. And um, I said, you know, this is really not something I should be doing. Uh, I, there's other forms and other ways of activism. And that's the point that I'm trying to make to your listeners is that you don't always have to do what everybody else is doing. Um, maybe, maybe you're good at speaking. And you want to do outreach. Maybe you're not and you're good at sitting home and creating and, and, you know, sending people petitions or whatever it is. Maybe you have a creative outlet. 
Um, maybe you like to write songs. You can write songs about activism. Uh, you know, people writing songs and poetry about activism is nothing new. It's been going on um, forever. You know, like if you look back during the civil rights, the times of civil rights, Nina Simone, uh, uh, Bob Dylan, you know, these people wrote songs of protest. John Lennon, who's one of my, my favorite artists of all time, wrote songs of, of peaceful protesting and imagining a world where we all live as one, you know? Um, they they use their creativity to bring about change in the world. Bob Marley, you know? Um, uh, Nikki Giovanni, a great poet who, who wrote about um, social injustice. We all have something that we could... Um, that we're good at, that we could exploit and use for the betterment of society and the betterment of the world. And I think um, that's probably the message I'm trying to get across to your listeners is that you you have a skill, even if you don't think you've had it or found it yet, you have something that you're good at. When you find it, use it for the betterment of, of society, whether it's writing, whether it's art, you know, people use art as a form of um, protest and a form of advocacy. Uh, we all have a skill. So, you know, once you find it or once you know what it is, use it to the best of your abilities to change the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that uh, e- even though disruptions are not your thing, you have found ways to get involved uh, in the fight against fur, which has gained a massive amount of momentum over the past year, uh, all these, what of all the, what's like the, the feeling in like New York, like what have all these victories, uh, been like, what's the feeling there? People are ecstatic about it. I mean, it, it's something that, uh, animal rights activists have been working on for years, for years, and a lot of times you lose hope. I remember when Canada Goose opened in in uh, Soho in Manhattan. Soho is a neighborhood in Manhattan. Uh, they have a lot of uh, uh, stores like Canada Goose, Uggs. All these high-end uh, labels have stores in Soho. And I remember when Canada Goose opened up and we started protesting there, and it, we were protesting Canada Goose for maybe three and a half, four years. And just recently, they decided to go fur free. I guess they got tired of the pressure. So, uh, but but within that three and a half, four years, a lot of times you you leave thinking this is pointless. They're not going to change. You kind of lose hope a little bit. But if you're persistent, if you keep keep at what you're doing, you know you see results, and and we're starting to see the fruits of our labor. So, over the last year, I mean, I lost count at this point. Um, it was probably about five, six, maybe seven different designers that decided to go fur free within the last, the last year. And I think that's amazing. And I think that it shows that when you are persistent and when you care enough about something and you stay at it, eventually you're going to see the results you want. We're starting to see that. So the, the feeling here in New York is um, we're, 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 we're happy. We're, 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 um, we're satisfied, not satisfied. We're satisfied with, who's closing, but we're not satisfied until all of these designers decide to go fur free. But right now we're, we're feeling really good about what's going on. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, we even tried to make it a political fight and, and take and making uh, fur illegal to be sold in New York. And that kind of fell through the cracks. Um, but we're picking up the pieces and we're trying to get back at it to make fur um, illegal 
uh, from being sold here in, in New York City. Um, but overall, it, it's, it's great because um, so many of these companies have decided to just, you know, stop creating items with, with you know, uh, the fur of, of innocent animals. And I think that's great. So New York is, we're, we're riding high right now, um, just based on the news that we're seeing. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I know, I know. Uh, you know, New York is there, there's a lot of uh, fashion culture, I guess you could say, in in New York, and I know everybody there is fighting fighting really hard. I, I know you're pretty involved with pressure campaigns uh, in general. Uh, I know that you're fighting for uh, New York City to ban horse carriages, and you've been advocating for that for a while, and. Um, more recently, you've joined the fight to get Nike to stop using kangaroos for leather, uh, which I can't even believe is going on. Uh, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on the power of pressure campaigns uh, in general and then hear more about these uh, specific campaigns that you're involved in. Um, well, I mean, like I said, uh, it, everything is not going to happen overnight. It, it takes like consistency. Uh, it takes, and it's not just uh, pressure campaigns from, uh, from being there physically. It's also writing uh, these companies. It's, it's signing petitions. It's talking to your, your council members, your lawmakers, and expressing your disdain for these uh, practices that's going to get the job done. Um, and hopefully they hear us. You know, Nike is a big uh, uh, influence influence in pop culture in 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 uh, athletic uh footwear uh so many things and they have the power the ability the resources and the technology to make sneakers that are more ethical that don't necessarily cause harm to animals and um it's going to be an uphill battle trying to get to them to get them to stop because uh, a lot of their business practices overall are, you know, something you can shake your head at because it outside of the animal rights aspect of things, um, you know, the human rights and labor laws and all of that. Um, but we just got to stay at it. We have to stay consistent with our message uh, and, you know, just keep pushing forward. And hopefully, you know, we'll see the change that we want to see as far as um, the uh, horse carriages that that really comes down to like a political fight here in New York, because so many of these, uh, these lawmakers here do not want to touch that issue. I think they're afraid of it. They, they're afraid of the union and uh, they, they don't want to upset people. You know, a lot of these guys that, that become politicians, they're looking to further their career and they don't want to uh, upset the wrong people. They don't want to upset their constituents into not voting for them into higher offices. So um, it's always an uphill battle when, when you're talking about the politics of a situation. But um, that's, that's a, a major part of the fight is trying to get the, polit the politicians involved in it. Uh, we, I'm, I'm a board member with Voters for Animal Rights, and we interviewed a lot of um, potential candidates last year for city council, for uh, state senate, and uh, a lot of other seats where people make laws. And a lot of them said they were on board with the ban. Um, but, you know, we also had a mayor before this one that said that he was going to do everything in his power to 
banned horse carriages and he sat on his sat on his hands when he got in office. He didn't you never heard anything about it. Um, so it's a touchy subject because I think you can have good intentions. But once you get inside, you realize like things are not as easy as you think they are. So I think it, the pressure campaigns are very important because it, it heightens the, the, uh, the awareness to the rest of the public. You know, like most of the time people walk down the street, they don't really think twice about the, the, the health or the welfare of these horses that are pulling carriages until you make them aware. Um, so I think that's very important that we're out there talking to people, getting them to sign petitions and um, just making our presence felt because that way you force the hand of politicians, you know, like we, we have the power as people to change the dynamic of the things that we don't like, but we have to come together as a collective to do that. And the way to do that is to, to be present, to show people why you should care about these issues. Talk to your council member, Talk to your uh, elected officials and let them know that you're not happy with this. Uh, and at, at they they wouldn't have a chance or I mean, they wouldn't have any choice but to do what you ask of them to do. I mean, they you voted for them to do certain things and you expect that from them. And but again, you have to play this game. We have to force their hand. And that's what it comes down to with these issues. Unfortunately, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I really just got involved with my first bit of real uh, like political activism uh, recently uh, in Charlotte and North Carolina, where you know I kind of joined the fight on the on the back end. Um, people had been fighting for years to get wild animals banned in circuses, but you know I worked on that campaign maybe for two or three months or something. And man, it felt so good when we were able to get that pass. It was honestly unbelievable. Um, and now we're, now we're starting to work on horse carriages in Charlotte as well. And I know it's going to be, um, I know being on one from the beginning is going to require a lot more patience. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get it done. I mean, I think like what you said, the public's becoming more aware about these issues and you know I think we've got to build coalitions with people who are not vegan which you know some people in our movement don't don't want to do that but there's a lot of issues that even non-vegans care about and you know I think horse carriages and fur uh, and you know uh, animals in the circus uh, who are like beaten and abused and confined you know I think I think a lot of people care about these issues and we can use that to our advantage and use it as a, uh, you know, we can just be strategic for the animals. And, uh, I know, I know the horse carriage one is going to be tough in New York because it's such a, you know, quote unquote romantic type thing. I mean, it's something that, you know, is just (laughs) been done in New York probably for, you know, so, so long, but you know, uh, how is it when you talk to people about that issue in New York? Do you know? I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a mixed reaction, but does does it feel like um, does it feel like perception has maybe at least changed in the, in the past several years? No, people agree with it. New Yorkers agree with it. Uh, there's a lot of people, and you know what's funny? Um, we we always make fun of people for calling themselves animal lovers, and they're not really vegan. I mean, I do it all the time on my page. Um, just because it's funny, but 
a lot of times uh, animal rights issues do resonate with people who are not vegan. And that's good. You know, that's good. You want them, you want them to care about these issues. Uh, just because they're not fully vegan doesn't mean that, you know, that their their opinion doesn't count or their um their letter to their council member doesn't count. It absolutely does. But um it's it's important to, to get these messages out there to people who don't know. But as far as to answer your question, there's the people in New York City. Um, people in New York are very much in support of what we're doing. They just don't know how to go about making their voice heard. Like a lot of times we see issues that we don't agree with and we don't know what to do about it, you know, and, and I think that frustrates people. But if you have a group of activists out there that are guiding you in the right direction, telling you who to call, uh, what email to send, uh, it, it kind of gives people a little bit of hope, like, okay, like my voice would be heard. New Yorkers are definitely on board with it. New Yorkers do not like horse carriage um, uh, rides and the fact that these animals are standing out there in the, uh, you know, the the dead of the winter and just like the the hottest days of the summer. A lot of times it's, it's, it's a tourist thing. Like a lot of these people that come in to New York to visit and, you know, they want to they want to make that part of their experience and their visit. They're the ones that are kind of like drawn to these these horse carriage, um, uh, you know, rides. And it's it's them that I hope to get across to, you know, because like I said, New Yorkers already know like there's there's a lot of people that are not vegan and that are, you know, not they, they're animal lovers, but they're not vegan, but they get it and they are totally against it. Same thing with live markets. Uh, there's a lot of people that um, are against it being in their neighborhoods because a lot of times these these uh, storefronts only exist in black and brown communities. They're very disgusting. There's nobody there regulating them to make sure that um, they're, they're being uh, organized and being sanitized. And a lot of times, like these places, they're so disgusting that they have like an ill effect on the rest of the community. And we talk to people and they don't they don't like them there. They don't the, the smell that comes out of it, the filth that comes out of it. Um, the fact that animals are in there living, you know, momentarily before they meet their demise don't doesn't sit well with people. Um, but People care about these issues. They just don't know how to do anything about it until they see somebody out there that cares enough to push them in the right direction. And, you know, and that's the only way we're going to win. Yeah, you said something really interesting uh, a couple of minutes ago, which is that people sometimes want to make a difference, but, you know, maybe they feel like their voice won't be heard or maybe they don't feel empowered uh, or maybe they even feel like it's a, a waste of time. Um, mm. What do you think we can do to combat this and empower people? Um, because, you know, as you know, like, our world's never going to change unless people do that. Um, you know, right now, I feel like there's so few people in the world who actually really take meaningful action um, on anything that they care about. Like so a lot of people just kind of go through life and, and, you know, some people are just trying to survive and, you know, I totally get that too. Um, but what can we do to, to empower people and get people to, you know, fight for the issues that they care about? I mean, I don't think it's one 
solitary thing. I think it's a it's a, a collective of many things. Uh, one of them is just uh, you know being active, being present, and making making your presence felt um, where where these issues are taking place. Case in point, um, you know being at the park, being at Central Park, where these uh, horse carriages are are located or stationed, and just having the resources available for people uh, to use if they choose to. I mean, like I say, you, you're not going to know what to do unless, uh, you know, somebody tells you a lot of times people don't know where to start and it has to start with you. You have to be present. Um, even if it's on social media, a lot of times I'll post things about, uh, the horse carriages or the live markets and I'll leave a link in my bio. Uh, you know, I have a link tree in my bio on my social media where I tell, I, I make it really easy. Like, listen, here's a petition. Here's a number you can call. Here's who you could reach out to. Um, you know, try to make it simple for people. Like you have this information as an activist, make it simple for people um, so that they feel more involved and more engaged in, in what in what's happening. And they feel like they're contributing to uh, ending these, this vicious cycle of animal abuse, whether it's horse carriages, live markets, rodeos, circuses, uh, w- whatever. You know, it's, it's just about having the information and making sure that you're presenting it to people and being present, showing up when you have to. Um, like I say, even if you don't, if that's not your thing, being on the street, like there's other ways of doing it. Like, um, I, you know, um, one, one form of activism that I do is I have a sticker and it's, uh, you know, I, I drew this picture of a young girl showing compassion for animals and it has a QR code on the sticker. So when, you know, when you hit the QR code, it takes you to um, a poem that I wrote. I wrote it. It's for kids. I wrote it. Uh, um, it's called I Love the Animals. It's a poem for children. And the point I'm trying to make with this is that you can do this with just about anything like um, stickers. And that's another big thing in New York. Like you come to New York, there's stickers everywhere. So I figured if, if you're going to you know pay attention to these stickers, at least let me put a QR code on it with some information on there. Um, you know, and that's, that's a form of activism, you know, and you can link that to you know, a petition, uh, email, whatever, you know, and make it simple for people and make them more aware. And, um, it's, it's so many ways. I mean, we could sit here and, and talk about this all day, but there's so many different ways you could get people involved. Um, but you just have to be present and make sure that you're doing your part by making the information available, whether it's in the street, social media, at your job, at your home, whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, a little earlier, which is that you're an advocate for you know more than just animals. You're a human rights activist, and you're a big advocate for uh, food justice and the accessibility to healthy vegan food. And I saw where you recently teamed up with PETA for a vegan food giveaway uh, that's kind of in correlation to this issue. Um, can you just educate us on this on this topic in general yeah it's about collective liberation it's about understanding the plight of human beings and uh, what and what we need it's about the needs of the people so when i talk about human rights issues um i don't i don't delve deep into these issues but i do show up for for events and and for things that pertain to my community and people in my community um the food giveaway uh, was an idea I ran by PETA. I, I told them what I wanted to do. I said, I want like my community doesn't really know that much about where to access 
vegan alternatives or healthy fruits and vegetables. And I, you know, if I had the funding to do it, I would do it all the time. PETA, um, and I'm, I'm so thankful for them because they, they gave me um, these holiday roasts that I can give out in my community. So for Thanksgiving, that's what I did. Uh, I, you know, instead of, you know, I had really great conversations with people that day and I explained to them, like, this is, you know, all plant-based. It's an alternative to eating turkey. You know, I don't really advocate for holidays, but if you're going to celebrate the holiday, do it without harming an animal and doing what we're causing the least amount of harm that you can. So we have plant-based alternatives to the things that you like. Um, and we gave them away for free. And hopefully, you know, that, that was another form of outreach. Hopefully people took uh, the meals home and enjoyed them enough to want to go get, you know, go get it for next year or the next holiday or whatever it is. Um, but it was all about making people in my community aware of vegan alternatives, that we could change the culture. We could start new cultures of uh, celebrating holidays without causing unnecessary harm. Um, and also about making people aware of, of where these foods are available, where they can find them. It's about um, educating people about uh, nutrition and where we can get our nutrients without harming animals and contributing to, uh, you know, the carbon footprint and all these other things. It's just about education and awareness at the end of the day and showing people that um, we're not asking you to take away from your diet or your lifestyle, we're showing you that there's an alternative alter, alternative to it. Um, and that was the point I wanted to make with the, the horse carriages and the live markets. And I think this is where people get afraid. They think that we're taking jobs. Oh, they want to, you, you close this industry, you, you, people are going to lose their jobs. No, with the horse carriage industry, we want to end the horse carriage industry, but we have um, electric carriages that work just as, as well as a horse pulling a carriage, which is inhumane. Uh, live markets, we want to replace these live markets with fresh fruit stands. And we have people readily available to do these things. So it's not like we're, we're taking something out of the community or we're taking your fun away. No, we're just replacing it with things that are more sustainable and cause no harm to animals. And I think that's very important that when you when you reach people. So like it, it'd be one thing for me to go into my community. I'm from Brooklyn. Um, I'm from East Flatbush. Um, but there are places like Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, East New York that um, these are districts within Brooklyn that um, are pretty marginalized. They don't have access to healthy food. And, you know, sometimes you have to go out of your community to get fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. It would be one thing for me to stand on a corner with leaflets and tell people you should go vegan. You, you could help cause uh, less harm to animals. And it's like, okay, then what do I do after that? You understand? I could easily tell people you need to go vegan, stop harming animals, blah, blah, blah. But if you're not offering them an alternative to what you're asking them to stop doing, then you're really not doing anything. And that's why I believe in collective liberation. And that's why I believe in um, standing up for the rights of, of human beings as much as most vegans don't want to hear that um, because they view all humans is evil. And we have to get out of that mindset because you're only doing harm to the, the, uh, the movement in the community with that mindset. You don't want people thinking vegans are angry and crazy and hate everybody. 
you know, we have to we have to show love. We have to show love to these marginalized communities. We have to uh, center marginalized people and give them a voice and a platform so that they could rise up and speak to people that are that from the where the communities that they're from. You understand? Like it would be really out of place for a group of white people to go into Brownsville and try to tell them how they should eat and how they should live. It looks very privileged. You know, you need people of color, people from that community that that can do that because it's, it's more familiar. And, and again, I know a lot of people are not going to agree with that. They're not going to understand it. Um, but that that's how I see it. And I think that that's an effective form of activism because you kind of look up to the people that you can identify with. You understand? And there's a lot of people of color in this community, a lot of uh, LGBTQ members, brown people, indigenous people. And we need to raise their platforms and raise their voices because um, we want everybody to go vegan. And we can't just do it with this uh, this kind of a white savior complex. You know, you want to raise uh, the voices of, of everybody in this community as a collective so that we look like a unified front. Like the, the vegan community should look like the UN. It should look brown, white, black, everybody. Not just white and then, you know, a couple of black and brown people, indigenous people, trans, queer. You understand? So um, I feel like I'm rambling right now. So No, you're not rambling. You're, you're speaking a bunch of facts. Keep going. <laughs> I'm going to let you ask the next because like once I get worked up, I can, you know, I don't shut up. So you can ask the next question. <laughs> Well, I was I was going to go back to what you said for a minute. I think um, you know I've heard I've heard different criticisms of uh, food giveaways where sometimes people think, oh, you're putting the the focus on the the food instead of the animals. But and I don't know. I I guess I see where they're coming from. But the way I see it is, you're providing a solution to a problem when you talk to somebody on the street. You know, I mean, not not to say that we shouldn't be um, advocating in this way. I mean, we don't always have like the resources to get you know give out a ton of free meals or or whatever. But if you have an opportunity to give people free meals, I mean, that might be the first um, consciously vegan meal they've ever had in their life, uh, and you're providing a solution to the problem instead of just pointing out the problem. And I, I think there's a huge, huge benefit in that. I do too. Yeah. Um, you're right. You made it, you make a really good point. Not everybody's always, always going to have the money or the funding to do things like that. And as often as they want to do them, like not everybody has a, a grassroots uh, movement. Not everybody has a nonprofit. Uh, I was recently in Philadelphia with, with uh, Tiffany. Uh, she's running an organization out there called Revolution Philadelphia. And right now they're, they're funding themselves. They're, they're pooling their money together to make things happen. Uh, they did a food giveaway in front of a live market and that money came from the members of that group. And sometimes that's how you got to make it work. You have to come together as a community with the, uh, the same common cause to make these things happen uh, until you can find a better way or an easier way of doing things. But uh, you know, I was very lucky and fortunate that Peter would would fund what I was doing and and get behind it. You know, I was very lucky and fortunate. Um, a lot of people don't have that that resource or that privilege, and they have to do the best they can with with what they have. And I commend Revolution Philly 
for what they did. They pulled their resources together to like offer an alternative. And I, and I think it was very successful uh, because a lot of people stopped by. They, they wanted to hear the information. They wanted to try the food and they were very thankful. You know, so it, that, that gives people something to think about. And I don't think it takes away from the plight of animals at all. Uh, I think some people just get stuck in this. Um, I don't know what you want to call it, but where they focus just on animals, 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 when that's just um, a part of a bigger picture. When you talk about climate change, because a lot of vegans don't want to talk about that issue. They don't want to talk about food injustice in marginalized communities. But how are you going to achieve full animal liberation if you're not addressing all these other issues? You have to address these issues. You can't ignore them um, because animals are not going to free themselves and you yelling about it is not going to do it either. It takes, uh, it takes a whole community effort on all fronts to get this done. And I think that that messaging is very important. People need to understand that. Um, you want people to help save animals, leave animals off their plate. Okay, that's not enough. What are you offering them? What resources do you have for them? What are you providing? You understand? It's like you, you can't expect somebody to just stop something they've been doing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you're not offering any kind of alternative or, or any solution to the problem. We have to offer solutions to the problems. I think uh, community outreach is a big part of animal liberation. It's not taking the focus off the animals. It's giving people alternatives to help them make um, the connection a lot easier and a lot better. You know, because people don't know where to find a lot of uh, vegan alternatives in certain communities. They don't know that uh, they're vegan chicken nuggets. They don't know that there's vegan hot dogs. You understand? So we have to make them aware of these things so that they can make that connection on their own and, you know, potentially and hopefully go vegan. Can you talk about what collective liberation is a little bit more because I, I think like you kind of alluded to earlier, a lot of people, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer in the fact that animals deserve their own movement. They do, but that's collective liberation. The idea of collective liberation is not taking away from the animals. Can you, can you dive into that just a little bit and kind of explain that to people because I think it was something that I, I didn't quite understand for for a while and I, I would like for other people to understand too. The easy answer is humans are animals too. That's the easy answer. If you care about animals, you should care about humans and their plight. Um, people have struggles in certain areas in life. And they gravitate towards things because out of necessity and out of survival. Um, so when you when you when you look at poor communities, a lot of them, um, if you gave them, if you gave a person ten dollars, and you said you can buy lunch with this ten dollars, now you go into a supermarket, and this and this goes this is because of government subsidizing or the lack of it in certain areas. If you go into a supermarket. And you want to eat something healthy. A lot of the healthy foods that are already prepared are very expensive. Like a 16 ounce cup of fruit is like $78. So like that's uh, uh, three quarters of your, your lunch money right there. But if you tell them you can go to McDonald's and get the a whole meal for five, six dollars, you know, they figure they could fill their belly with that, that meal and, and save, you know, a couple of bucks. 
And this is what the government does. They subsidize the price of meat and dairy. So it's affordable, it's cheap, and people will gravitate towards that. And a lot of times in these communities, people will choose um, convenience over their health because it's because they don't have a lot of money. You understand? So as long as the government keeps subsidizing uh, meat and dairy, the, the meat and dairy industry, you're always going to have cheap and affordable um, meat and dairy products. We have to force the government to subsidize uh, fruits and vegetables, organic fruits and vegetables to make those more affordable and more accessible. Um, and that ties into the plight of human beings, because a lot of us are just in survival mode. And a lot of times those more affected and impacted by um, what's going on here in the United States, as far as, uh, you know, uh, economics is always poor black and brown people, in most cases, poor white people, and just marginalized people uh, altogether. So we have to make them aware of not only like, do we we hear your plight and we and we care about it. And we're trying to do something about it, but this is going to help animals along the way as well. It's not taking away anything from animals. Um, and as a as an African American man, a so called African American man, I don't really like to refer to myself as that. But as a as a so called African American man, um, I face many dangers in this country. A lot of people don't want to open their eyes to that reality, or you know they gaslight you, or you know try to make it seem like. Things are blown out of proportion. I can tell you it's really not. I, if there's things in, in my community that I've seen um, that just shouldn't shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, black men being murdered by law enforcement, um, all, all different types of issues. Um, but I think that the plight of human beings is just as as important as animal rights. And if you look on the the the, the broad, like the grand scale of it all, when you talk about um, certain issues. Um, in mainstream, we hear about Black Lives Matter. We hear about the LGBTQ community, the trans community. Um, we hear about the plight of um, uh, immigration, immigration, stuff like that. These are human rights issues, but they've been magnified. They've been put in the mainstream. People know about it. They're more aware of it. You never hear about animal rights in the mainstream. Never. And people don't don't want to hear about it. But I think that it's necessary to to kind of um, collectivize all of these different uh, fights to make people more aware of what's going on with the plight of animals, because, again, it ties into our health. It ties into um, what, you know, our habits. It ties into our economics. So we have to make people aware of the plight of animals and why we should stay away from these these products and move to more healthy and sustainable products. And um, I think for me, that's just the short answer. That's what collective liberation is about. It's like making people aware. And again, we're not going to achieve that if we uh, take the angry vegan approach, because it's bad enough that uh, the animal rights community gets a bad rap for being very racist, you know, in, in certain communities, because and like from the from the outsider's perspective, it looks like just a, a angry white mob of people that are advocating for animals. Why should I care about animals? Um, I want to change that dynamic. I want to change that perspective of people. I want to show you why you should care about animals. Like we don't share this planet alone. And that's the other thing about collective liberation. I want people to understand is that animals have personhood. Us as human beings don't have ownership over the planet. We share this planet with other species who have a right to be here as much as we do. So we can't like 
we can't advocate for ourselves without advocating for them. If, if, if I'm making any sense there with, with what I just said, I hope I'm making sense. But um, for, for me as a person of color, I cannot be against collective liberation. And you're right. Animals do deserve their own movement and they have their own movement. But we have to understand that the things that we do tie into that and we have to cut that off and separate it in order for us to have animal liberation and human liberation, because they, they do kind of, you know, intertwine with each other at some points. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what advice do you have for brand new activists um, and for people who are thinking about taking action uh, but haven't? Um, you said something a minute ago about how, you know, sometimes how the animal rights movement might be perceived. Um, and maybe there are some people who don't feel like they have a space, uh, in animal rights or don't feel comfortable too. So I, I would love, I would love for you to, uh, include something like that in, in your answer, because, you know, we want to make people feel as comfortable as possible. We want to be welcoming and we want to be, um, you know, the only way we're going to make a difference in this world, I feel, is if, you know, we have a diverse group of people who are advocating for the animals. Because if it's if it's just, you know, if it's mainly one group or whatever, or if it, or if it feels exclusionary, then that's only going to be a detriment uh, to the animals. So I, I would love, I'd love to know what advice you have for any brand new activist, but especially maybe someone who wants to be active for the animals, but maybe doesn't feel comfortable. Um, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I had a call about this uh, a couple of days ago and I wrote 11 points um, of effective activism for, for people looking to join the movement. And you made a good point by saying that there's people that don't feel uh, comfortable enough or welcomed. And I think it goes back to the idea that this community is mostly be, uh, made up of um, white people, um, mostly women. So it, it, it kind of gives you a certain perception that, you know, most people don't feel welcome. But um, I'm going to go through this real quick. It's 11 points. And I think if people use use these strategies and like I'm not a strategist, I'm not I'm not an expert. This is just based, based on my experiences and, and things that I've been through, things that I've seen and things that I think we could uh, improve in. All right. Um, I'm going to try to go through this as fast as possible. Number one is safety. Uh, trying to make sure that we're holding organizations and people accountable for the safety and the well-being of organizers and activists. Um, that means being sensitive to the plight of marginalized members of the community um, as it pertains to race, sex, orientation, gender, religion, things like that, and creating safe spaces. We have to hold uh, community uh, organizations accountable for creating safe space spaces so that everyone feels accepted. Um, inclusion, uh, that kind of ties into number one, making sure everybody feels heard and involved. Um, and, you know, we, again, this is like a predominantly white space, but we want to make it more diverse and full of people from different races, nationalities, things like that. Um, but inclusion is important. You want to make people feel like they are included, they are welcome. Uh, white saviorism, 
white saviorism is basically knowing when to step down from your platform, like knowing that um, maybe you're not the one to speak up on certain issues and in certain places, because there are places and I, and I've been through this and it's been so uncomfortable, man. Uh, I remember doing an action up in the Bronx and in Inwood. And that's a very, um, it's populated mostly by like Dominican and Puerto Rican people, uh, Spanish speaking people. Um, and I was up there with a group of white women and it just looked, I, I remember being there and I just like, we, we look very privileged to like, just, I'm here with these four or five other white women. And we're trying to tell these people of Latin, uh, you know, descent that, um, or like, you know, Latinos, like Spanish speaking people that they should not, you know, eat, eat from live markets. You know, I think it would have been better if we went there with people from the community that could relate to them, speak the language that looks like them to convey that message, as opposed to the one black guy that doesn't speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> and, and these other white women, you know, it looks pretty privileged. Anyway, creativity. Uh, that's point four. Always looking to find new and, way, new and innovative ways of advocating for animals, but also making sure that it's effective. Um, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. When you, you're looking for different ways of doing things, but not always doing the same thing. Not that there's any, anything wrong with it. There's, listen, there's nothing wrong with disruptions. I, it's just not for me. Um, all different forms of outreach. I think all of these are great and they're necessary. Uh, the political side of it, which I'm involved in as well, it's all necessary, but it's also great to find new and creative ways of trying to reach people. Um, I think that's very important. Uh, number five is experiencing, trying to avoid experiencing burnout, you know, because a lot of times we subject ourselves to like graphic images of animals and we deal with unruly people that really don't want to hear us. They, you know, like sometimes we want to punch people in the face. Let's be honest, like doing outreach because um, they, they're mad that you're there advocating for animals. Um, and a lot of times you get stressed out, at least a depression. So you, you have to know sometimes when to back, when to back off from doing things and give yourself a break. Your mental health is very important. I think that's very overlooked in this community. Um, I think that's why we have so many angry people <laughs> in this community because they're not taking care of their mental health. Like they're on 24 seven. Um, I can't afford to be on 24 seven. I'm a single father, you know, I work a full-time job and I try to do my activism. So you have to understand that you have to preserve your mental health and your physical health, and you don't want to experience burnout. So sometimes you have to give yourself a break. If it means that you're missing three or four upcoming events, so be it. Um, give yourself time to recharge so that you can be more effective at what you're doing when, when you, when your head is in the game. Uh, six is ego. Knowing that you're never too good for any task or duty. Um, knowing that sometimes you might have to do the dirty work, you know, like you might be the person to have to do the, the things that you don't think are appealing or sexy enough, but it has to be done because at the end of the day, this is not about you. This is about animals. This is about getting the message across. It's about saving animals' lives. Because um, I've been in situations where people felt like they were too good to do certain things. Like, they, oh man, I'm doing this 10, 15, 20 years. Like, why do you want me to do this? Leave your ego home. Like, there are times when I'm out doing activism, like, you don't know I'm there. I mean, you know I'm there because, like, I have a unique presence. I'm the only Black guy there ever at any time, most of the time. But um, a lot of times I do things that are behind the scenes, but it's just to get things done, you know? Um, it's not for Instagram. 
It's not for bragging rights. It's just things that that have to get done in order for us to achieve what we're trying to do because we're trying to save animals' lives. Uh, so checking your ego is very important. No, Nobody is bigger than this movement. I don't care who you follow, who you think uh, is the fucking savior. Nobody's bigger than this movement. And we all have a part to play. And sometimes those roles are, are like interchangeable. Um, respecting other activist space. Knowing and understanding when to be seen and heard. Uh, a good example of this is, um, let's say me and you are out doing outreach and somebody comes up to you and they want to know, what, what, what are you guys doing out here? What's this all about? And you're talking and they're not coming pile on. And, and now I'm talking to the person that looks very disrespectful to you. It, look, it makes you look incompetent. So I think that when we're doing outreach, like if you see somebody talking to somebody, leave them alone. Because what you're going to do ultimately is when you have three or four activists trying to talk over each other at this one single person, you're just going to frustrate them. Now they don't want to hear anything you have to say. So leave these one-on-one -on -one conversations um, to be. Your time will come because a lot of times people want to hear themselves talk. You know, they think that they have the formula to turn everybody vegan and the words that's, that's coming out of their mouth is going to turn this guy vegan. And I got to just jump in there and get a part of that conversation. No, step to the side. Let your comrades handle that situation. If they feel like they can't handle it and they call somebody over that has more information or more knowledge, then let them take over the conversation and you walk away. But the one thing you don't want to do is fluster somebody and, and confuse them and have two and three or four people talking to them at the same time. So it's very important that we uh, respect each other's space during activism. Um, number eight is understanding the victims of animal agriculture come in human forms as well. I've been in places where people are um, really abusing the slaughterhouse workers. And a lot of times these people are undocumented. They're only doing this because it's the only means of survival. I don't agree with it, but I don't look at them as my enemy. I look at the system that perpetuates violence towards animals as my enemy. And these people are victims of that system as well. You know, they, they're being taken advantage of because they're undocumented. They could get paid less um, of a living wage. And, you know, they, they deal with stress and alcoholism and depression and things like that as well. A lot of these people in these slaughterhouses, regardless of what people want to believe, don't want to be there. They don't enjoy what they're doing. And a lot of times they have to turn off those uh, the emotions to get the job done. They're victims of this system as well. Yes, they're human beings and they're killing animals, but they're also victims of this system as well. And we have to see that um, our anger should not be taken out on them, but the system that perpetuates it. Um, number nine, I'm getting towards the end. I'm, I'm almost done here. Uh, the outlaw mentality. Um, what I mean by that is people who come to, come to events and actions and decide that they're just going to do whatever the fuck they want to do. Excuse my language. Um, I've seen this happen before as well. Uh, we have organizers. They tell you what they expect of you, what they want and how things should be. But then you have people that come in and decide they want to do their own thing. Now, here in New York, we have something called Kaporos. Maybe there's somebody listening that, that don't know what it is. Very briefly, it's a, um, a Jewish ritual where they sacrifice chickens to relieve them of their sins. Uh, and here in New York alone, in Brooklyn, Thousands, I'm talking about tens of thousands of chickens are sacrificed for this uh, one week event. And we have Jewish organizers that have a connection to the community. So we have a certain way of doing things because a lot of times what we're concerned with is the rescue of these animals. And last year we were able to rescue over 500 chickens from being slaughtered 
We would have had more if people did not have this this mentality that they were just going to come there and record people and shame them in their own community for what they're doing to these animals and and anger these people. Because what happens is ultimately, and I've seen it, you anger these people to the point where they start harming the animals. They start pulling the animals' wings behind their back and taunting the the activists and you know throwing the animals in in these people's faces because. Now you're you're angering them. So they're taking it out on the animal because people come there with this mentality that they're just going to do whatever they want and say whatever they want. And that kind of goes against what the organizers had planned. And again, more animals could be saved if people did not have this outlaw mentality. Number 10 is knowing and understanding what your activism is about, knowing that knowing why you're doing it and that there's a time and place for everything. Um and this is a big one. I, I've seen, um, I've been at a, a, a vigil where we bear witness to the animals. You know, the truck comes in and these animals are moments away from being slaughtered. And I've seen activists decide at that time, that's the perfect opportunity to take off my shirt and show people how ripped and shredded I am. And I, I, don't, I don't need meat for protein. Um, you know, I holding up signs that, you know, kind of advocate for veganism, but you're making it about yourself at that moment because, li- and like, listen, I take none away from these, these guys or these girls, they, you know, they, they, they work on their bodies. They look really, really nice. You know, they're in shape and that's beautiful, but understand there's a time and place. A vigil is a very somber moment. Animals are moments away from their demise. And the activists are there to provide food, water, and a little bit of comfort before these animals. So they didn't know that all humans are bad, that we do care. We, we, but you know, but that is not the time to show how buff you are. It's, it's poor taste. And there's, there's other things that I've seen, but just knowing why you are where you are and acting accordingly. And the last one, number 11, we got to the end is language, knowing what language to use and how to use it. Uh, what do I mean by that? People like to lean on these words like Holocaust, rape, and slavery. Like, listen, are, are, can those things apply to animals? Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But knowing when and where to use it. Me and you having a conversation, activist to activist, like I, I can say, yeah, what animals go through a slavery and, you know, cows are being raped and things like that. But if you're trying to explain this to somebody on the street that has not never seen um, what happens in a factory farm and you explain it to them and, and refer to it as the Holocaust, that could throw somebody off, especially if it's somebody of like Jewish descent. If me, a black person is talking to somebody of Jewish descent and I refer to the animal agriculture and what happens in, in, in that industry as the Holocaust, I might trigger that person. I might turn them off from anything else I want to say. Same thing if like a, a, a little white girl talking to a black family about animals and she refers to animals as oh, these animals are living in slavery. Slavery is triggering for me. I can only imagine how another black person feels. So like that coming out of a, a, a white girl's mouth, it's like you're, you're, um, you're using their pain and suffering and relating it to animals. People kind of mis, misconstrue those messages and you might anger them. So I'm very careful with the language that I use. Like, again, it's a time and place for it. During activism, I don't think it's the time and place for those things. If people want to make that connection on their own, fine. But it's not up to you to make it for them by using certain terms and uh, words. And those are the points that I would give to somebody that wants to be an activist and want to be, wants to be effective in what they're doing. 
um, when they when they when and if they do decide to go out. Well, that's some incredible advice. I didn't expect all that, but that was wow. That was that was amazing, and I can I can tell you know uh, that that's something you've put a ton of thought into, and that it's very appreciated that you shared that here because um, I know so many people are going to get a lot out of that, and I, and I hope that if any. Uh, new activists or aspiring activists uh, are listening to this that they will uh, they will have, they will take all of that to heart um, because the the lessons that you talked about are um, many of those lessons took took me uh, a long time to learn <laughs> I wish it was stuff that I had known from the beginning um, so I really appreciate you uh, sharing that here. Is there, you've been so gracious with your time, um, and uh, is there anything else before we wrap up that you just want to add? I think I said it all. I think <laughs> so too, but. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think I kind of, we covered a lot here today. So, I mean, I don't want to, overwhelm you with any any more you know um i think this was good hopefully your listeners get something out of this if if not anything you know i hope they walk away with one gem today um and listen i'm all about creating better activists and better human beings um and you know there's a lot we have to learn from our mistakes we have to recognize our mistakes when we see them and learn from them and do better you know like we can't get upset with people because they're not listening to what we're saying maybe it's not maybe it's not what you're saying maybe it's you maybe it's how you're saying it maybe it's your approach you know and and i think again that kind of ties into doing what uh works for you find your niche because everything ain't for everybody and, um, you know, we have to be mindful in how we're, we're approaching people with this message, you know? Well, thanks so much, Stuart, for being here and uh, for investing your time into, um, you know, people who are willing to learn about these things. Um, I know that our listeners will gain so much from everything that you had to say. And uh, we're just so thankful that you were here today. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And again, I just want to point out I'm not I'm not an expert. This is this is just my I'm speaking about my experiences and what I see and what I see is being effective and what's not being effective. Um, You know, like I'm pretty sure that people that have like um, better advice to give and there's people that are going to disagree with a lot of what I said. Um, And it's up to you whether you want to take it or leave it at the end of the day. You know, Um, I'm just I'm talking from my own experience as as an activist and as a vegan for, you know, as long as I've been vegan. And, and doing this, you know, like everybody knows me as vigilante vegan from, you know, social media here in New York. I'm just I'm Stuart. They don't give a fuck about, you know, um, who thinks the world of me on social media. Like I'm I'm an, I'm a soldier. I'm an activist. You know, I don't I don't I don't speak unless I'm spoken to. I do what has to be done. You know, I don't get my ego involved. It's all about just getting shit done because we're, talk, we're not talking about me other activists we're talking about animals and 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 getting people to to understand the plight and do something about it as opposed to doing nothing at all absolutely thanks so much for all your words of wisdom today and uh yeah we'll see you next time man i appreciate you man thank you 
educational and inspiring. This was such a fantastic conversation. I'm so thankful that Stuart came on and I hope that you are as inspired by him as I am and learned as much as I did. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Please remember to rate and review the podcast if you can. It helps others find it more easily and the more people that find it, the more people can listen and be inspired by the guests interviewed on our show, such as Stuart, and turn that into actionable change for the animals. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support our work at Animal Activism Mentorship, please consider joining our Patreon for as little as $2 a month if you're able to do so. This goes such a long way in helping us grow the animal rights movement through mentorship. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Animal Activism Mentorship, where you can keep up with the podcast as well as everything AAM. One more reminder that you can sign up for a free mentor to help you with your activism at AnimalActivismMentorship.com. If you needed a sign that you should be an activist for animals, this is it. Remember that it will take all of us to achieve animal liberation. Stay focused, stay positive, be effective, and keep doing your part. Until next time.